All right, so a passage we've looked at several times. Um, that we've looked at several times, but it, it really uh, provides for us a an important foundation for our responsibility to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so 14 weeks ago, we set out to study evangelism. And our course goal, if you recall, was to equip, motivate, and prepare us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of today's class is to stop and look back and see where we've come from and where we need to go from here. And hopefully today's class will be an encouragement to our own discipleship and our motivation to answer the call for evangelism. Well, if you remember from the first class, we began by discussing some personal struggles with evangelism and things that we hoped to to get answers to by the end of this series of classes. So who, who of you were here on that first class? Remember when we asked that question? What are some of the struggles of evangelism? It was August 24th. All right. None of us. Nobody was here. Okay. Um, I was here. I remember. But um, for those of you who were here, thank you for, for persevering all the way to the end. Hopefully it's been an encouragement to you. But here on your handout, you'll see the... Uh, the struggles that you suggested and the things that you'd like to have talked about. And so what we want to do today is just look at those things and see if we've made any progress on them. Okay, so first, fear of rejection. Someone mentioned, I didn't write who wrote these, but but I did write down each one of them. Uh, Fear of rejection or of being shut off. uh, That that people would, when we give the gospel to them, that they would just say, sorry, you know, I I, I don't want to, talk about it and I don't want to talk to you anymore. Okay, we have that kind of fear like this is going to completely build a wall or set up a wall between us between us and them. Secondly, a possibility of going on rabbit trails that as we're trying to share the gospel someone mentioned that, you know, we just start talking about things that don't have anything to do with the gospel and by the end of the time we haven't accomplished our goal. Thirdly, government persecution for sharing the gospel. Maybe there are some new ordinances against speaking of Jesus. Another person in here mentioned a lack of preparation was one of the concerns. You know, if I'm not prepared, how can I give them the gospel? You know, I'm going to find myself getting into a place where I have to talk about something that I don't know or I'm not prepared to share. And then uh, someone else mentioned the struggle with the idea of whether a person really needs the gospel. You know, um, I'm not sure where they stand in their relationship to Christ. So do I really need to share it to them? I mean, they talk about being a Christian. They talk about church. They talk about religious things. So maybe I don't need to share the gospel with them. And then the final one that was mentioned in here is a lack of experience. Maybe uh, I, I just haven't been in this kind of situation and maybe this is a job for the professionals, not for me. In addition to those initial fears, uh, I mentioned some others, including you know, the fear of meeting non-Christians. The fact that, hey, they're going to be different from us. They they may have some things that I'm not prepared for. And also, they may act a certain way that may cause me to stumble. So maybe it's, it's better for me not to, to meet them. Uh, fear of directing conversations toward the gospel in a proper way uh, or, or not being able to do that, the fear of not being able to do that. Um, also, a struggle was maintaining relationships with those who reject the gospel. What do we do when someone rejects the gospel. You know, how do we maintain a relationship with somebody like that? What if it's a family member? Um, Another concern would be 
uh, maybe an apathetic heart on my part, right? A lack of motivation that I, I'm equipped, I'm, I'm ready to share the gospel. I have lots of unbelievers that I know about, but I'm just not that motivated to do it. Uh, that might be a concern. Or lack of faith, not seeing any results. I've done a lot of things. I've said a lot of things. I've shown a lot of faithfulness to God, and I haven't seen any results. Nobody's come to Christ. Okay, um, Maybe a concern of, of our circle of influence has become too small. We've insulated ourselves too much or maybe isolated ourselves too much where we don't even have any non-Christian friends. We don't even have anybody that we can speak to about the Gospel because we just hang out with Christians. Uh, maybe another concern would be dealing with condescending comments. You know, when, when we share the Gospel, what happens when they come back at us and attack us? Like, they, they feel that we are attacking their thinking and now we're responding... Uh, and now they're responding with an, uh, an attack in kind. Um, another struggle is trying to turn conversations toward toward uh, the gospel. Maybe another concern is busyness. We just simply are too busy to see the fields that are out there that are white for harvest. You know, we can't get out and do the harvest work because we have too much going on on the home front. You know, there's just not enough time to get out there and. And I, I just can't add one more thing to my schedule. I don't have time to, to listen to all these questions. I don't know if you've ever had that thought, but I certainly have. That, you know, when I I was prompted to speak the gospel to someone, and I thought, you know, what happens if this is going to end up turning into a two-hour conversation? I, I've got things to do tonight. You know, it's going to mess up my schedule. You know, in a, in a country where schedule is important and the clock is king, um, you know, we, we don't like to mess our schedules up. And so busyness can be a problem. Consistency is another problem. So so with your uh, the things that you mentioned with regard to your struggles and these other ones that I've included, it's clear that, that um, you know, we can identify with at least some of them, if not all of them. And uh, trying to live out our faith with regard to our evangelism is not an easy thing. So my hope for this study was to try to answer some of those questions and try to speak to some of those struggles and try to help us along to think from a biblical perspective what we're supposed to do. And so the way that I tried to address these concerns and expectations and struggles and fears was to define the terms of what we use in evangelism. So we began by doing that in the second class after having an introduction. And then we talked about in the third class God's sovereignty and personal evangelism. And then we went on to talk about um, what faithful evangelism looks like in the fourth class and then what the what is the whole gospel in the fifth class. And then we talked about how we actually explain the gospel. How do we break it down into parts and make sure that they get get the gospel? How do we explain it to them? We talked about in the seventh class our character and communication. How does our character relate to communicating the gospel? And then in the 8th and ninth classes, we talked about practical ideas of sharing the gospel. What, what would it look like in a, in a normal setting? And in the 10th cl- class, we talked about answering questions. And then in the 11th class, the church's role in evangelism. And then the last two classes, we talked about role-playing. Uh, w- let's just go through some scenarios where people either say definitely yes, definitely no, uh, 
I, I, I believe, but I, I'm not ready to make a choice yet. Um, or I, I, um, I need more time. Or, um, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I no longer am. And we, we went through several of those, and we wanted to try to address those. So, the big question now is, how did we do in that in, in trying to address these struggles, trying to address several of the other struggles that I brought up, how did we do? This is where we were, okay? And then the schedule of the classes is where we tried to address those sorts of things. And so based on that, how do you think it went? Any comments on that? Any struggles that you felt like, you know, like that really wasn't answered, that wasn't, um, wasn't addressed? Or is there something that was helpful that you, uh, you know, as we saw, we talked through some of these things, felt like it allowed you to be more equipped? Any thoughts on the last 13 weeks, Jared? So, uh, yeah, it reminds me of James 5 with the farmer waiting for the, the soil. Uh, you know, he, he, he makes sure that the, it gets rain, and then he waits. I mean, it's a, it's a patient process, and that's the, the process of evangelism is the same thing, that we can't just expect that every time. Now, sometimes God does work that way, but, but really, truly, um, most people ha- have had the Spirit of God working in them the times when they respond right away, you know, like when we meet somebody at a at a bus station or something and, and we're giving them the gospel and they respond right there, it's not that that's the first time that they have thought about these things or that the Holy Spirit has been prompting them. We just happen to be the ones that that are able to see the fruit from someone else's work. And if you think of your own life, you probably didn't come to Christ the very first time you thought about Christ. Okay, it probably took a number of weeks, months, how many of you took years okay, since the time you heard about Christ? So several of us, okay, five, six people here. So um, it's, it's a patient process. And where that person is along that journey, we don't know. But our, we know what our responsibility is, and that is to keep being faithful to the gospel and keep saying, listen, this is urgent. You need to respond. You can't just keep pushing this off because there will come a time when you can't respond in the next life, obviously. So good. So think through the patience of it. Yes, Jared. Right. Right. 
Yeah, really, when they reject your message, they're rejecting Christ's message. They're rejecting the person of Christ. And so we feel like, you know, they're rejecting me as a person. And they may distance themselves from you, completely ostracize you. Um, but ultimately, if they're doing it for the sake of Christ, then that's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing on your part. Obviously, the best thing is for them to come to Christ. Sandra? Yeah, and that, that you're right. That is a process, and uh, even after we've given the gospel, you know, God's expectations for our faithfulness may be to continue to give it to them or give it to them again because they didn't explain or they didn't understand it or they're not responding to it. And that's why those last two role-playing classes we tried to do something like that, where if someone says, "I'm still thinking through it," or "Give me some more time," well, then if they're open to that sort of thing, then just keep, you know going through that door and giving them the gospel, giving, giving them pieces of the gospel, telling them what they need to do in response. Find out, remember, find out what their uh, challenges or obstacles are to accepting the gospel and then try to answer those objections that they have. Sometimes those are the things that are the last barrier that, that the Holy Spirit needs to tear down before they can accept the gospel. So just keep working with them and praying for them. Good. Anything else? Bill? Yeah, so we sometimes receive the increase from someone else's work. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we don't know where we are in that process a lot of times with the people that we're working with. Sometimes we get to do all the cultivation, you know, or, or a lot of the cultivation, not all of it maybe, but all, a lot of the cultivation and we get to see the fruit as well. You know, like maybe when your kids come to Christ, uh, you were a big part in that because you spent time with them and um, we were just able to hear from 
uh, three of the children from our church who trusted in Christ. And I, I was telling the deacons after they left, you know, that's a lot of what these kids are experiencing and going through as a result of their, you know, th- thousands of hours, hundreds of hours from their parents, just working with them, talking with them. Um, and uh, so sometimes you get to see the fruit. Not that they were the only ones responsible for their salvation, but they had a huge part in it, right? So um, we praise God for that. But we, you know, with the guy at work, or you know, your neighbor, or or your family member who needs to come to Christ, you don't necessarily know where you are in that whole process, or if they're even going to come to Christ. They may flat out reject him eventually. But that's why. It's important to, you know, as each person said, we need to do the work and then trust God for the results. And uh, that's, you know, if that's all we got out from this class, then that's excellent. That's a great truth to learn or to be reminded of. All right. Well, I hope uh, that this uh, series of, of classes has been an encouragement to you. Um, to conclude our time together, let me give you some final thoughts on this subject as by way of summary. Specifically, ten key ideas and lessons. Nine of them we've looked at, so there will be a review for you, but the tenth one will, uh, will help us transition into our next series of classes. And uh, hopefully it will be something that we can meditate on and it will help jog our memory to what we've been working through here in, in these last uh, 14 classes. Okay, so number one. First key lesson, evangelism is expected. That's what we just read in Matthew 28, right? That that Jesus gives the command to the apostles. The apostles were supposed to disseminate this command to the church. Each person in the church is responsible to share the gospel, to evangelize. The Lord Jesus Christ commanded it to make disciples, which assumes evangelism is taking place. Secondly, evangelism is empowered. And it's also an, a discipline. Okay, We've talked about the empowerment, that it's not something that we can just go out apart from the work of the Spirit and expect there to be results. We need the Spirit. Spirit, He's the one that's going to finish. He, he's going to take our words and turn them into spiritual fruit. We can't do that. We can't force someone to accept our gospel message, Christ's gospel message. We can't do it. It's the Spirit. So it has to be empowered by Him. And... Uh, and then, and then the third part of this first one is evangelism is a discipline. It's a natural out overflow of the Christian life, and therefore we must obey. If you find that you are not evangelistic by nature, if you find that you're not doing evangelism, then you need to recognize that it's a discipline. You can't just wait around until, you know, I really feel like evangelizing today. I really feel like proclaiming the good news. Now, hopefully as we become more and more like Christ, we can't help but speak of Him, but recognize that there are many things in the Christian life that we would never get around to doing if we waited till we felt like it. Okay, So evangelism, I think, is one of those things. It requires, particularly for people who are more um, introverted or less uh, of the type A personalities, the people that are less of the people type of people, people person, um, it's a discipline, something that, that we have to work at. And so we need to make sure that we're properly motivated and think through those things, make sure we're equipped, and then just start doing it and see what God does. And you know what? God often uses our faithful obedience as motivation for more. 
That is, we start to see some of the fruit of our results or we start to sense that God is pleased with us just sharing the gospel and it encourages us to do encourages us to do more. So recognize that evangelism is also a discipline. Secondly, evangelism is preaching the gospel. It's preaching the gospel. This is what Bill was um, alluding to here. It's a work of communication in which Christians make themselves mouthpieces of God's messages. Uh, of God's message. It's not that we have to come up with something really profound and you know something that really pricks their mind. No, we have the gospel. We simply take the unadulterated gospel and give it to them. We're heralds, okay? Like before, like for a king, the king doesn't want you to just go out there and try to make the people happy and and give them something that they want to hear. The king wants you to tell the people what he told you to tell them. So read the scroll, okay? Hear ye, hear ye. This is what the king has to say. Okay? And obviously, uh, the scroll is is the gospel that we need to share that with them. Give them the gospel. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean that we can simply uh, that the only way we give the gospel is simply by reading texts of scripture. But that wouldn't be the worst way to give the gospel. Um, it, it certainly includes more than that. And I think we need to make sure that uh, our lives are consistent with the message that we're speaking from our mouth. Okay, so if I'm smoking a cigarette and I'm telling my son, make sure you don't smoke. Okay, don't be doing this. This is not good. Okay, my my life is inconsistent with my message. And the same thing is true with the gospel. Okay, if I'm saying this is the, the, the greatest news that I've ever uh, experienced in my life, that's one thing. But if we say, you know, this is, this is fabulous. Can't imagine anything better in this life. And then in the next breath, we're talking about the, the, the problems with the, you know, the neighbors and the problems with the government and the problems, with, you know. It's like, man, this person is a miserable wreck. And they're talking about the joys of salvation and the life to come. Um, not that we can ever have misery. Not that Christians never uh, are that way. That's not what I'm suggesting. But if our if the general tenor of our life doesn't speak to the truth and the majesty of the gospel, then there, there's something wrong. And it actually can harm our gospel message. It can actually harm someone com- from coming to Christ. So we need to make sure our, our lives are consistent. And I said it that way because I don't want to say that our gospel message is our lives. Okay, As if someone can come to Christ because they just watch our life. If we mean by life our actions and our words, then yes. But if we mean by life just watching us, we never have to explain the gospel, then we're going against what Romans 10 says. Someone turn to Romans 10 and read verses 14 to 16. Raise your hand so I know you're going to read that for me. Romans 10, 14 to 16. Paul. And then 1 Peter 2, 12. Someone else? Bill. Okay. So, we can't buy into the lie that's even in Christian circles, broader Christian circles, that says, you know, um, that we need to evangelize people with only our life. Listen to Romans ten fourteen to 16.
Okay. So how can they? And the implied answer is they can't. They can't believe in someone in whom they have not heard. So they can't believe in your life. They can't come to faith in Christ because they watched you, you know, love your kids. They can't come to faith in Christ because they watched you love your church. They can come to Christ because they heard the gospel. Now, if you're not loving your kids and you're not loving your church, then that might actually hinder them from accepting this gospel that you say you love. Okay, do you see how there's a difference? They have to have the word, and they also it also would be helpful to have the life. And I would say uh, we can cause stumbling blocks if we do not. First Peter two twelve. All right, so let your conversation, or I think the word conversation there has to do with our lives. Let our lives be so good among the pagans that, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will glorify God on the day that He visits us. So our lives are critical, I think, to our gospel message, but our gospel message is more critical to a person uh, accepting Christ. So we need both. Uh, the, the illustration I used was two wings of a plane. You know, that our lips and our lives need to go together. Okay, We need to make sure that we're speaking the gospel message and we're living the gospel message. That will bring more clarity to uh, what we're trying to present. Thirdly, third uh, lesson, God's sovereignty is the foundation of our evangelism. And the reason that Packer, in his book, God's Sovereignty and Personal Evangelism, in his book he says, the reason I know that everyone believes in God's sovereignty Every Christian believes in God's sovereignty is because they pray. He said, I'm not even going to go through an argument and try to explain why people believe in God's sovereignty. Because there's, there's lots of debate out there. If you know anything about uh, some of these scholars, they debate, o- debate over God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Which side are we on? And his argument is, listen, we all believe in God's sovereignty because otherwise we wouldn't pray. We would just do all the things that we need to do to get someone saved. And because you pray, because I pray, we're suggesting that God is powerful to do something that we cannot do in them. And that's rightfully so. So that's why God's sovereignty is so critical. And I think the more we understand God's sovereignty, the greater it will help our efforts in evangelism, not the other way around. Sometimes there's this argument out there that well, people who believe in God's sovereignty uh, really are not good evangelists. They don't believe in evangelism. Since God is going to accomplish what He will, then why evangelize? Right? Or we could say it this way. Since God is going to accomplish whatever He will, and He and He will, then why pray, right? And so we talked through that in the third class, and a helpful review is available for you if you still have your notes, or that I think that one's available online as well. Number four, the gospel has a complete message. It's not a truncated, method-centered message catering to the appetites of men. Uh, remember J.I. Packer? We we quoted this this statement that he had a half truth masquerading as a whole truth is an untruth. So if we're trying to do the bait and switch type idea where we, oh, well, you know, you can. If you will just love Jesus and and do these things, then then you can, you know, and, and yes, if a person is going to follow Jesus, they need to love Him. Okay, so that is a, a truth, but it's not the whole truth. 
And we need to give them the whole truth, which is, listen, your sin is an offense to God. You have opposed Him with your sin and you are deserving of His rightful wrath. And so that half-truth of just telling the part about the love and the, the happiness and stuff part of the Gospel, a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth is an untruth. And we actually do harm to the Gospel when we don't share with them the whole truth. That's why we took time to go through that. The, um, the only result of that kind of thing, of the half-truth, is that it's going to lead them to despair or we're going to manipulate them into a result that, that's not of the Father. Okay, uh, So we need to make sure that we're not truncating the message. Fifth, the Gospel message is simple and clear. And the way that we talked about it is it's a message about God. It's a message about man and his sin, his rebellion against God. It's a message about Christ. And then it's, it calls for a necessary response. Right? Uh, we need all of those things. We need to recognize who God is to some extent. We need to recognize our sin and its offense to God. We need to recognize what Christ did to pay for that sin and to take care of it. And then we need to know what we are supposed to do. That's what the unbeliever needs to know. They need to know all these things. They need to respond to that. So it's simple and clear. We want to lead them to that. And uh, from the Bible would be ideal. Uh, we learned much from the Apostle Paul and his method of evangelism. We studied his example and found encouragement and lessons from him for our own lives. And we need to remember that Paul, like Jesus, um, was constantly looking for opportunities to turn conversations towards spiritual things. Okay, we used the example of Jesus. How I, I suggested that he had one foot in the secular worldview, that he was kind of thinking how they would be thinking, not in an evil way, but and then one foot in the Christian worldview, and now he wants to find things that are common in both. So, with the woman at the well, it was the water. Okay, she's thinking on terms of what can I do to quench my thirst, and he's saying I can quench it eternally. But he's talking about a different kind of thirst. So what he's doing is he's bridging the gap between the secular worldview and the Christian worldview. Paul did the same thing with the uh, the Athenians there in Acts 17. And so we need to be constantly looking for those things. What can we do to help turn a conversation about something that is just physical or temporary, something that is passing away? Take something like that that and, and turn it to something about the gospel and this is a, a great art that I've seen uh, lots of faithful men and women be able to do, and um, I hope to, to improve on it myself. All right, next, answering questions that non-Christians ask. We took a whole class to talk about that. Okay, what kind of questions do non-Christians ask? What, what kind of questions do they have on their mind? You know, the, the question that we ask in Christianity Explored is, if you could ask God one question, and you knew that He would answer it, what would it be? And we tried to get unbelievers to be able to think through that. Wow, that's, that's a pretty thoughtful question. Let me think about that. And then they'll come up with various questions they might have. Jared? Excellent. Yeah. 
And we took a class to try to ask some of the most common questions and try to answer those like, what, what does, how could a good God allow suffering? You know, what, what will God accept as far as a, a, a full atonement for sins? I mean, will He accept me on the base? Why won't He accept all these other religions? Those types of questions. And I, w- I mentioned to you last week that there is a book that has these questions for you and biblical answers for those questions. And some, some were asking how we could get that book. I went ahead and bought some. And you're welcome to buy them off of me for $6. And it asks the 12 most common questions. And actually, the name of the book is called If You Could Ask God One Question. And uh, this is what I was talking about last week. If there really is a God, why on earth don't you prove it? Right. God, why don't you prove it to us if you really are here? Uh, isn't the Bible just made a bunch of made-up stories? All people go to heaven, right? If you're a God of love, why send anyone to hell? If Jesus really was your son, how come he, how come he was killed? If I can be forgiven everything, doesn't that mean I can do whatever I like? How can anyone be sure there's life after death? What about all these other followers of other religions? Isn't faith just a psychological crutch? Why do you allow suffering? Why do you hate sex? Why don't you just do a miracle? And those are the 12 questions that are most common from unbelievers. And the answers are helpful. and They're given to you in a helpful way um, so that you can... Think through these things in advance. Now, I, would, I wouldn't recommend taking this book to your unbelieving friend and reading it with them. But I would, I would encourage you to ask them those kinds of questions. Like, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And when they come up with a question, see where it relates to some of these 12 most common ones and then talk about it. Now, in that case, that may not be precisely what these questions are asking, but you know, some people are going to ask different questions than these. But these are the big ones that you've probably heard before and you might hear again. So if you want a copy of that, I'm happy to to uh, to get get one for you, six dollars, and um, that's the best price that I could find on the internet, and that's actually a reduced price from what I paid for it. So um, I'm I'm paying for part of it for you, but six dollars, and you can just see me afterwards or anytime. I'll keep in my office. All right, next, the local church and its role in evangelism. We wanted to see. What does the local church have to do? And I think the local church is foundational for motivating and equipping uh, us as individual members for personal evangelism. And that's why I want to take this amount of time to work through this. We've had other classes where we've touched on evangelism as a discipline of the Christian life and uh, various parts of other series. But this one is just all directed at evangelism. And uh, I think we have responsibility as a church to help, help equip the members of the church to to do that. I think the local church is also to be a place where believers are spiritually equipped for engaging with God, that we should hear in the presentation of the message of the of the Bible some explanation uh on occasion, if not every time, of what the gospel is. Right? That that as you're listening to sermons, you should be able to help uh other people think about the gospel in proper terms. So, so how do I explain the gospel when I'm when I'm preaching it? How how does um, how can I use this to help someone else with the gospel? And obviously, the goal there is to to be faithful to the message. Uh, the last couple of weeks we looked at we looked at responding to responses. So based on how they respond, we give them the gospel. They have a number of responses. We looked at six. 
Um, how do we respond to them when they respond negatively, positively, neutrally, we could say? Um, we need to be prepared for those situations. That's important because each outcome requires a different direction. There's no cookie-cutter way that we can respond to someone they, when they respond to the Gospel. You know, we don't want to get into a parroting mode you know, where we just parrot out the answer uh, and it's almost like rote memorization where we're speaking like a robot or something. We want to be able to speak to them based on, on uh, how they have responded in a way that's helpful for them. Primarily, our response is going to be one of love, patience, prayer, sensitivity, follow-up, trying to connect them with other believers. So one time, some, some of the times, our problem is, is that we take these people as our personal evangelistic projects and sometimes we have to because it's hard for them to be connected to other believers but but one of the helpful ways to to uh to help them to see the gospel is to get them in contact with other believers um there are all sorts of statistics out there um about how many believers a person has to come to know before they come to Christ obviously they, they could it could be zero right because they could just come across the Bible and really just be introduced to the person but I think there is some help in those kinds of surveys because it does show us that you know evangelism actually is helped by an unbeliever seeing more than one believer okay because you know if you believe that way and you really live your life that way okay I can see that you're weird but if they see 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 other believers doing that, like they're serious about this. You know, there's some there might be something to this. Okay, so so I would say, you know, one of the ways that no matter what their response is, try to include them into um the lives of other believers. Some of the ways that we can do that, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about this, but obviously invite them to church, invite them to various evangelistic opportunities that we have at the church to Christian Explored is a good one. Um, or just ask somebody from the church to go out to lunch with you and your friend. Okay? It doesn't have to be, this is going to be our attack, our intervention session. Okay? Listen, the real reason we really brought you here, Mr. Unbeliever, is because you're, you're, a, you're a rebel. You're going to hell. And we're here to tell you, you don't need to do that. Okay, that's not the goal. I mean, the goal is to develop relationships, help them to see, you know, uh, how you interact around other believers. It doesn't have to be a show. It just has to be something, hey, we can start developing friendships with unbelievers. And, you know, if you feel like you're working on somebody and you just kind of come to an impasse, you've talked about things, you've shown them things, they're just not responding, maybe it's just helpful to say, hey, Somebody from the church. Would you mind coming over? Bring bring your family over to my house. I'm going to invite this guy from work, and we're just going to have a we're just going to have a a, a good time of talking, and and um, and it, it may or may not lead to spiritual conversations, but that that would actually be a good opportunity for an unbeliever to see. Okay, last, and this is one that will help us tie in this class to the next one. Evangelism is really a subset of discipleship. Okay. Uh, Discipleship is the process of us being changed more and more into the image of God. So one part of discipleship is our evangelistic responsibility. Our goal in evangelism is uh, is not, by the way, and it's actually 
evangelism is not only connected to our personal discipleship, but it's also connected to their personal discipleship, right? When we see someone converted, we haven't done our job. Because we're not working to gain converts. Remember what Matthew 28 said? Go and make converts of all nations. Is that the goal? No, what is it? Make disciples. So when we have seen someone come to Christ, we haven't finished the job. We want to see them grow. Remember Jesus later on says, Teach them, teaching them everything that I've commanded them. So get them plugged into a church where they can be taught the things of the Scripture. That's our goal. Um, we, we need to make disciples, not con- converts. So not just converts, I should say. So for non-Christians, this is pointing them to the saving grace of the Gospel. For new Christians, young Christians, and even old Christians, we want to strengthen their discipleship. We want to see God... Uh, more glorified in their lives. So how do we do that? Okay, No matter who you're working with, whether they're a new Christian, an old Christian, or an unbeliever, you want to invest time in them and then with a goal of final discipleship, that they make it all the way to glory. That's the, the final goal. So it's part of our individual walk. It's um, Christ-centered mentoring for the purpose of strengthening the spiritual soul of another. And so this is a vital aspect of our own discipleship that we are to be discipling other people and it's a vital aspect of their discipleship as well. And I think we could say that our evangelism is simply part of that. Um, so where do we go from here? I'll uh, I'll give you these three and then... Read a quote and then we'll be dismissed. Where do we go from here? Three things. Pray, prepare, and persevere. Okay? Prayer for others is supremely uh, what God uses as His ordained means as the foundation for evangelism. So if we're going to see converts, we need to pray. If we're going to see Genuine disciples, we need to pray. Um, J.I. Packer once wrote, God will make us pray before He blesses our labors in order that we may learn afresh that we depend upon God for everything. Has God ever put you in a place where He's He's gotten you a position where you can do nothing else but pray? And part of the reason for that is that God is trying to get you to depend upon Him. That's what He did with Paul. You know, He kept giving him, He allowed the thorn in the flesh to remain so that Paul would not become boastful and that he would depend on Christ. So God does that for us as well. Um, So we need to pray for boldness, opportunities, for love, and um, recognize that the the work that needs to be done is the work that God has to do. Secondly, prepare. We can prepare by studying the Bible, um, reading useful books. We can pray. We can practice. We can even disciple um, other people or be discipled by others. Do you see someone else in our church who's good at evangelism? Okay, Have you heard testimonies of people who are sharing the gospel now? Okay, Spend time with them. Talk to them. Uh, thirdly, persevere. Trust God for results. Faithfulness is the key. We've talked about this. Patience. Recognize that God is the one that needs to do the work and ultimately cause the growth. So, here's the uh, quotation from from uh, this book, Tell the Truth, by Will Metzger. And he closed the book by saying, 
God-centered evangelism is a way of life. It does not advocate a method, but encourages a knowledge of people and how to apply the gospel to the conscience. An evangelistic witness should be natural, educational, and bold. It is something that we are, not just something that we do. Personal evangelism, personal witnessing, is the phrase that best describes the evangelistic life to which all of us are called. And so here's the question. Will you tell the truth? Will you tell the truth? Will you give people the gospel, the whole gospel? Will you allow God to work? And um, if that's your desire, then I would encourage you in that way. And if it's not your desire, I'd just encourage you to um, pray to God for help and and, uh, start praying for unbelievers and see what God will do. All right. Any questions or comments? Bill. Um, well, um, perhaps maybe a non-confrontational way would be to ask if they'd be willing to read through part of the Scripture. Because what can happen from an unbeliever's perspective is that you're just pulling things out. You're pulling these verses out and you're telling them to me. But, you know, so maybe, you know, the Gospel of Mark might be a good place to start or the Book of Romans is a little bit heavy for an unbeliever, but... Let's look at these things and then without a, without you know making each time you read through something like let's say we'll go through one chapter in Mark each time that we get together we're just going to do this for 16 times or 16 chapters or something and and uh each time the goal for you is not to attack and show them where the sin is let the let them read that for themselves and then just ask questions and let them let them respond. And, and what you've done there is you've given them, you, you've caused them to be confronted not with just your words, but with what Jesus is saying in the Gospels. And, and the nice part about the Gospels is that Jesus is constantly confronting people in their sin. And a lot of times these people who are making these arguments haven't really uh, looked at the Gospel for themselves. They haven't looked at the Scripture. So I think what you're doing is... is um, Exactly right. You know, make sure you point them to the scripture, pray for them, and um, but but that's the only thought I had. Um, you know, just on. Oh yeah.
Wow. Yeah, it's great. See, God's constantly working in the lives of others, and and um, sometimes He drops people like that on our doorstep. And so let's uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this series of classes that helped us to refocus our responsibility of sharing the gospel and help us to be full of uh, love to do that sort of thing and and to be equipped properly. Pray for this uh, friend of Bill's, Joe Kern, and his family, and just pray that, that most of all that you would help him to see his need of, of Christ and that he would turn to him. Thank you that we had the opportunity because someone cared enough about us to share the gospel and to pray for us. I pray that you'd help us to be those kind of people to the unbelievers around us. In Jesus' name, amen.